Hello, Biathlon fans, and welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. We have a great season well underway here at Heartbeat. Did you catch the last episode with new U.S. Biathlon national team member Campbell Wright? If not, check it out today. That's Kiwi in America, the story of Campbell Wright. U.S. Biathlon had an outstanding final dryland camp at Soldier Hollow in October. And during that time, I had a chance to sit down with world champion Lowell Bailey, now the high performance director for U.S. Biathlon. We talked about the success of the team last season. Campbell Wright and Maxime Germain's medals at Junior World Championships, Sean Doherty's strong World Cup at Annecy, Deidre Irwin's performance at World Championships, and more. But mostly, Lowell was looking ahead to the future with U.S. Biathlon's strategic plan for sustained competitive excellence. It's a very progressive time at U.S. Biathlon as it plots out a course of growing the sport across America. Now let's head to Soldier Hollow for our conversation with Lowell Bailey on Heartbeat. It's preseason time for sure here at Soldier Hollow. I'm with Lowell Bailey, the high performance director for U.S. Biathlon. And Lowell, welcome to Heartbeat. Great to be here. Thanks, Tom. Beautiful fall colors. We're recording this in mid-October at the Soldier Hollow camp, and it is gorgeous out here. I know you live in Lake Placid. It's pretty back there, but this is nice. And a little bit of snow up on the on the ridgelines. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, Utah this time of year. is It's a great mix of uh, all the seasons all at once, it seems. Yeah. This is a pretty important camp. Yeah. Um, we've been doing this camp for decades now. Um, and the reason we haven't, we haven't revised anything really is, uh, it's such a great time of year to be in Utah for our last dry land training camp. And, uh, the importance of it, uh, is it's really the, the final, the final training block before we get into just the fine tuning section of the season, which is really that lead up on snow camp in, uh, in Scandinavia. This is the last U.S.-based camp. It's the culmination of a ton of hard work by the athletes starting in May. And also mixed in is some uh, some team qualifications as well. I want to talk a little bit about Utah because recently U.S. Biathlon announced that it would move its headquarters here, still keeping its training center at Lake Placid for the national team and uh, junior team up in uh, Bozeman. But how important is that to have a footprint like that here in Utah? I think it's it's hugely important for the organization. We're expanding at a pretty rapid pace these days. There's a lot of new clubs coming online. Our organizational um, priorities or or uh, objectives are really about building, um, among other things, building our clubs and building our outreach. And um, we've really had a pretty good presence now in the Northeast uh, for for a long time. Uh, some good venues there. And, you know, in the West, there's also great venues, great clubs. Uh, and so this just adds to um, all the groundwork that they've laid over the years and, and puts, you know, USBA put their, puts their presence out here uh, on the West Coast. You've been involved in the sport for many years as an athlete and now a coach and a high performance director. Do you sense uh, this kind of burgeoning of the sport around the country within the clubs and kind of filtering up to the top? Yeah. I mean, that is our hope, uh, that, that the club participation is increasing. We're seeing that now, uh, we're seeing new clubs come online. We're seeing growth in participation at existing clubs. You know, I think that a lot of that credit goes to the club organizers, volunteers, and, um, 
and also with us biathlon um you know we've put resources personnel dedicated to that purpose of helping clubs as they uh continue to grow we're going to talk more about that when we get to the strategic plan for 2030. Uh, let's kind of look back over the summer. We're, we're here. It's the precipice of the season coming up very soon uh, uh, here at Soldier Hollow for the final camp. But you've had a whole season of preparation at Lake Placid and other locations. So give us a little sense of what the team has been up to over the last uh, five months or so since the season ended. Many listeners out there know what the uh, rigors of, of biathlon training is. Uh, for those that don't, it's pretty much year round with three or four weeks off at the end of the season to recharge. Towards the tail end of April, the team gets going again. Uh, our first camp this year was in Bend, Oregon, and uh, that was on snow. It's a great opportunity to get some you know, high volume. So a lot of hours in, in a great place at that time of year. Um, great skiing conditions. And um, so that was the kickoff in May. And then we really focused on quality training in Lake Placid for the majority of the summer. Um, we had several training camps there. One of the big focuses this year has been to increase our physiological uh, testing. And uh, so in partnership with Montana State University and their physiology department led by Dr. Jim Becker, we were able to do more testing than we've ever done, quite honestly, and has really led to some some breakthrough uh, knowledge with our team, with our training planning. Really, the summer was a lot of, um, a lot of training in the East. Uh, of course, we had our, what's come to be uh, an annual event with the Jericho races, summer, summer races in Jericho. And now we're in Utah for the last camp, and pretty soon we'll be over in uh, Vokati, Finland for the preparation camp. Let's go back to the physiological testing. One of the real benefits of that testing comes with continuity. And is this something now, as we lead up to 2030, uh, as a part of your strategic plan, this is going to be a continuum? Yeah. So, um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about, about the strategic plan, but one of the facets of it was if you have the bold aspirations to go out and win the first Olympic medal for uh, the sport of biathlon, if that's your organizational goal, you should be tracking progress over time. And as we sort of took a step back a couple years ago and, and looked at, you know, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses? Uh, one of the places we identified for improvement was really, you know, recording performance data. And so part of that is the physiological testing and Huge, huge thanks um, to MSU and Jim Becker for not only providing really, really high quality testing, the testing that we need, but also providing really um, original thought in how we might improve the testing, how we might bring in new tests uh, to look at different variables. And um, happy to go into that further. I could spend an hour just talking about that, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> we should probably talk to him at some point because. This is such a fascinating area, and I had a lot of exposure to it in my career, but it is a, a real difference maker. Uh, let's, uh, uh, let's go back, though, to last season. I want to have you recap a little bit, and we'll, then we'll look into the future. But uh, you had some interesting things uh, last year results. You had some emerging athletes. So give us a few highlights from the season past. Every season seems like a new, uh, a new thing. This season, as we go in, I'm excited about all of the work that the team has done over the last you know, six or eight months. 
But last season, looking back, um, we had a lot of great indicators of uh, future future success to come, but also uh, some of our athletes that you know have been in the pipeline for a long time had some of their best results. Uh, I'm thinking of Sean Doherty, um, who he's still fairly young for the sport, but he's been around for a long time, and uh, he had really you know one of his best seasons, if not his best season last year high mark with an 11th place in, uh, in Annecy, France, and definitely, you know, left him hungry, even though he had one of his best seasons. I think he realized, I think we all realized that that's just, um, you know, tip of the iceberg. If we talk about sort of step away from the veteran side and, and look at emerging athletes, you know, you have to talk about Maxime Germain's bronze medal at world at junior world championships. Also, his now teammate, uh, Campbell Wright, who was then competing for New Zealand. Campbell won that race as well. So, you know, and Campbell trained with the national team throughout last year and and was by all intents and purposes a, uh, a national team member throughout last season and now is a national team member. So some young athletes that continue to uh, post some impressive results and they did last season. But um, what's really exciting is there's a whole group of that generation of athletes that's training together daily, pushing each other daily. And that um, type of sort of critical mass is, is so important in raising the bar of the whole team. And on the women's side, uh, there was some really interesting and exciting uh, results on the, um, we'll call it ta talent transfer side of things. So we have in biathlon, since it's a sport that involves cross-country skiing and rifle marksmanship, what you see across really the whole international uh, scene is cross-country skiers at an elite level will make that jump. And uh, what we saw last year was Margie Freed uh, from the Craftsbridge Green Racing Project. She chose to uh, kind of stick her neck out and try biathlon. She didn't have a whole lot of uh, experience up to that point, really jumping in with both feet. And um, she jumped into our trials in December and uh, and qualified for our IBU Cup team and then went on, you know, I think it was her maybe fifth or sixth career biathlon race ever. Uh, she was posted a 19th place, which was our American uh, top finish on the IBU Cup last year. And I think more importantly, posted a second... Um, second fastest course time and, um, and did that several times where she had top five course times. And in biathlon right now, the international um, field is really, really competitive. Um, races are won by half a second, second. Ski speed is just so important. It goes without saying that you have to shoot well, but it's my opinion that, that shooting can be taken up in a much shorter time than it is to learn how to cross-country ski at an elite level. So the ski speed aspect of the sport is is just so important. So anyway, looking back at last season, just a lot of new, um, new faces, a lot of uh, exciting results um, coming from the younger generations. And then also you have to say um, veterans, Deidre Irwin, it deserves mentioning with her 20th place at World Championships leading the team there. That left her, I think, coming off the historic seventh place in Beijing. Uh, I know Deidre wanted more, and I know that that's fueled her throughout this past training season. She's, she's hungry for more of those um, top-level results. 
it's interesting how that becomes a stepping stone and how vital those results are. Let's take a look at the season ahead. And before we get into the season itself, you had touched on a little bit of your pre-preseason uh, training that you'll do over in Vukati. But uh, the uh, IBU uh, World Cup opens November 25th in Ostersund, the IBU Cup December 1st in Kantialati. What will the athletes be doing in the couple of weeks leading up to those openers? So actually, um, we are changing our, uh, our lead-up schedule a little bit uh, this year. Or I, I should say pretty significantly, and, and the big significant change is we're bringing our IBU Cup um, field and our World Cup team, both teams together in Europe. Typically, uh, this time of year in Utah, we'll have the trials and we'll generally pick most of the World Cup team and IBU Cup team at that point, and then they'll go off and, and uh, be on those two tours separately. This year, uh, we're changing our selection criteria a bit, and we'll have both groups of athletes at one training camp in Vokati, Finland, on snow uh, starting November 6th. So we're increasing the amount of snow leading into the season, uh, or on snow time, that is. And we're also bringing both tours together, uh, which... I think is going to be great for the athletes. It's always tough for athletes to travel over to the, you know, foreign countries and know that in the cases of a, a World Cup athlete, you're on the road for, you know, four or five months. Uh, so I think it's going to help with that competitive uh, drive, but also just the camaraderie of having, in this case, 18 athletes there for a, a large, you know, two-week camp. Cool. And then the season gets underway and there's a lot of big events this year. You have the Youth Olympic Games uh, coming up in uh, in South Korea. You have World Championships in Novemesto. You have a World Cup coming back to the U.S. Uh, in Utah and also World Cup up in Canada. So as you look at the season, I know it's a continuum, but there certainly are those high points. And how do you try to balance that in your plan? One of our strategies from the from the coaching side of things is you have to be close to your best at all times, really. Um, you know, your best can can strike at any moment. And one of the interesting things about biathlon is there's really quite a lot of chances throughout a season. You know, you start with, you know, with Ostersund in November and you're competing all the way through March. Uh, and in that time, you've got 30 some odd chances uh, to, to be at your best. And really, you know, a podium at the first World Cup or a podium at the last World Cup, in my mind, they're equally impressive. Of course, World Championships is the focus every year, and a home World Cup holds a special place. It does seem that it's hard to quantify like why it is, but there does seem to be a, a home court advantage. Um, we know the courses at Soldier Hollow so well, and having that hometown crowd is is just such a a boost for an athlete going out and competing, especially for World Cup athletes that are used to competing in Europe. They're used to competing with, you know, crazy German fans and Austrian fans and Norwegian fans and, you know, being being known entities for sure, but also playing second fiddle to, you know, the top Norwegians or the top Germans in terms of fan appreciation. So it's it's really nice for the athletes to come home, compete on home soil and uh, and have that home court advantage. 
for clubs who are listening to Heartbeat around the country, it's also an opportunity for them to come and see their heroes of the sport right there on the track. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would encourage anyone that can get to Soldier Hollow uh, for that World Cup, come and spectate, come and cheer on Team USA. Uh, it's, It's going to be a great, great World Cup just really, really inspiring for, uh, you know, youth that are just getting into the sport or maybe haven't even tried the sport yet. I want to touch a little bit more on the Youth Olympic Games in South Korea and Gangwon province. I'm curious, are they using the same Olympic venue from Pyeongchang? I believe they are. Yeah. Um, I, it, much to my chagrin, uh, that's sort of out of my department. So, um, my colleague, Tim Burke is, is managing that whole trip. So he's the guy to ask for all those details. We'll get him on and get a little bit more on that. Let's take a look before we take a quick show break, but just a a little bit of a look as to who to watch from the USA this winter. You've talked about a number of them already, but any other notes that you'd like to make about the team that'll be out there this winter? I think, you know, keeping an eye on this young generation that's just coming up, some of which are still juniors, some of which are young seniors. I think keeping an eye on, on those, that group of athletes, um, they've trained really well throughout the season. You know, in addition to Maxime Germain, Campbell Wright, if you look at that that group, you have Vincent Bonacci, Bjorn Westerveld, Vashek Cervenka. It's a great uh, group of of uh, young young guys right now. And then I, I'm very interested to see on the women's side. It's a much more diverse group, I would say. So different backgrounds. Um, you have someone like Tara Garrity Motes, who's uh, sort of a crossover athlete from uh, Nordic Combined, where she had a huge amount of success there. She's joined the National Guard. She's gone to basic training, so she hasn't had a lot of training this year, but you just really never know. And then you have women like Margie Freed, uh, perhaps some of the other talent transfer athletes that have just this summer tried biathlon for the first time. We may see them squeak onto an IBU Cup or maybe even a World Cup. So I think, you know, those are ones to watch. And then, of course, uh, Deidre is, is hungry to top her seventh personal best. So watch out for her. Big season ahead. Yep. We're with Lowell Bailey, the High Performance Director for U.S. Biathlon. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back on Heartbeat. In each episode, Heartbeat brings you insightful stories about one of the most exhilarating of all Olympic sports, U.S. Biathlon thanks each of its sponsors that help us bring you each and every episode of the Heartbeat Podcast. Maloya is the official apparel provider of U.S. Biathlon. Thanks to Maloya, our team is outfitted in high-quality, beautiful apparel and race gear. Not only does the U.S. Biathlon team stand out, but we race in comfortable, breathable suits that inspire confidence. Check it out at MaloyaClothing.com. As an official sponsor of U.S. Biathlon, Aarons is committed to supporting the growth of the sport in the USA. The so-called King of Snow is a global leader in snow removal equipment that keeps facilities and courses clear for training and competition. The Aarons Nordic Center in Brilliant, Wisconsin is an official U.S. Biathlon National Training Center, further proving Aarons' commitment to growing biathlon in America. You can learn more at AaronsNordic.com. As the official education partner of U.S. Biathlon, Paul Smith's College takes pride in the programs that it has established to offer athletes a college education and sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. 
Its reputation and standing as a college aligns with U.S. Biathlon's goals to support collegiate biathletes as they strive for both academic and athletic success. From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Heartbeat. We're back on Heartbeat today with Lowell Bailey, the High Performance Director for U.S. Biathlon. We're at the Soldier Hollow Camp, the season right ahead of us. Let's take a long look into the future all the way to 2030, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, and U.S. Biathlon has been forward-thinking, forward-looking, and putting together a strategic plan that leads out to 2030 with some pretty aggressive goals. For those who might not be familiar with it, give us a little introduction to that strategic plan and why it's so important uh, for a year that's still six, seven years away. The 2030 plan is is really focused on what does it take to reach sustained competitive excellence as, as we've defined it. Um, and so what does that mean, sustained competitive excellence? It means winning the first ever Olympic medal for the sport of biathlon for America. But also we've tried strategies before, quite honestly, that, that were, you know, similar. I mean, that's what an NGB really, every NGB has that North star of, of Olympic success. Uh, I think what's different about this plan is it has an eye towards sustainability in terms of um, reaching that success, but then staying there. And so some of the sort of distinct differences are it's a multi-pronged approach for the first time ever. Uh, and by that, I mean, we're not just focusing on a single athlete or a single team. Uh, in some cases in the past, we've identified talent at some point in our pipeline, whether that's junior whether that's young senior, whether that's, you know, developed World Cup athlete. And we've said, oh, here's our chance. We're going to put all of our resources behind this, this athlete or this team. This plan is about taking a holistic look at performance and really looking at our entire pipeline and trying to make it more robust year over year to the point where success is inevitable. And we may not know where that success is coming from. It could come from a club athlete that's just coming up through a new club. Could come from a talent transfer athlete that's at a very high world-class level of cross-country ski speed and tries the sport through one of our programs. It could come from sort of the traditional uh, biathlon pipeline, which is to say, you know, an athlete that has started from a young age and really focused on biathlon and specialized on biathlon through their whole career. So what we're trying to do is put resources in place to uh, create a sound, robust pipeline. And, and that takes a lot of different shapes and forms. You know, one of the, the elements that has always stood out to me, and I think because of its simplicity, is the recruitment that you've talked about, the talent transfer. This is a really important part of this, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, uh, it may be shrewd to say this, but this is not a new idea. Um, this has been replicated by countless um, countries over the course of <laughs> biathlon history. Uh, and so we we know that it's a successful strategy. Uh, and I think more than that, personally, I just feel like biathlon is such a great sport from the athlete's side, from the athlete's perspective. You know, cross-country skiing has its own challenges and then you introduce shooting. And I, I just feel like for an athlete that wants to devote their 
their career, their, their athletic career to the pursuit of uh, Olympic sport and Olympic excellence, biathlon is such a great, a great choice. It's just, it's challenging all the way through your career at every level and um, can be one of the most gratifying experiences for an athlete. So on one hand, it's an organizational strategy uh, and, and uh, an objective. On the other hand, I think it's just an awesome opportunity for individual athletes out there to, you know, take an opportunity uh, and, and join the sport. And really, there's just so much potential there. When you look at the whole blend of things that you have in this plan, it's really quite detailed. Are the athletes understanding this? Do they, do they feel that they have a plan that they can sink their teeth into and they can stick with now over the next six or seven years? Yeah, I think we're, we're building that backing and momentum. And, you know, this plan didn't just get created in a vacuum. It had a lot of stakeholders that contributed, including athlete representatives and also our board of directors. Um, so really, you know, it's a group effort. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's the athlete that's out there on the course that's, uh, you know, that's out there racing. But uh, as we all know, there's so much that goes into just getting, you know, competitive athletes to the start line at an Olympic Games. Uh, it, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, I, I know this is touching into uh, Tim and John Ferris area, but the expansion of clubs and the importance of that grassroots system, ultimately, I mean, that's where it all begins, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to the, to the point about sustainability, is a 10-year-old that's coming into a new club going to medal in 2030? Not likely. However, we want to grow the clubs and it's part of our 2030 plan because, again, sustained competitive excellence doesn't happen after 2030 if all we're doing is focusing on our top tier athletes. And I think, again, going back to what I originally said, this is the first time that USBA has had the capacity, and I mean that in terms of resources, financial resources, um, personnel, athletes in the pipeline. It's the first time that we've had the ability to go out and really give this level of uh, quality to all levels of the pipeline. So we're upping the game in the high performance space. We're increasing um, athlete support. We're increasing resources at the top levels. So it's not to say we're shifting our focus down to recruitment or we're shifting our focus down to club development or coach education. It's actually, we're just putting attention on all of the places where we see opportunity in the pipeline. As we reach the end, uh, Lowell, you've had a really successful career. You came out of an amazing period in Lake Placid area where a lot of great athletes came out. You won a gold medal at the World Championships. That was seven years ago. You have been retired now as an athlete for five and a half years. And, you know, in, in that time, I mean, how is how, what's your perspective? What evolution have you seen both in the sport of biathlon itself and also how it's adapted here in America? Yeah, I think, you know, you learn a lot as an athlete and uh, I, I certainly feel like, <laughs> I felt like when I retired, I, I knew quite a bit about the sport, but I quickly learned I didn't know a whole lot, um, or at least it felt that way. And, uh, you know, as I got into this role, admin side of things, I think one of the biggest things I realized is the vast amount of support that goes into supporting a national team uh, or supporting a World Cup team or any international team. But uh, you, 
you just can't do it alone. And I, I mean that in terms of you can't do it alone as an athlete. You can't do it alone as an NGB. Uh, I spoke of Jim Becker's team from MSU. We rely on so many different entities, whether that's sponsors, whether that's donors, foundation members, USOPC. It's really, I'm not trying to sound cliche at all. It's, it's really sincere, but it really is a team effort beyond just the NGB. So I think that's probably the one, one of the biggest things that I realized because as an athlete, you have to be somewhat sort of myopic in how you're approaching things. You have to focus on your own performance. And, um, as a team administrator, it's kind of the opposite here. <laughs> you have to focus on all the other stuff. So that was probably the biggest learning curve for me is just knowing how many entities are out there that are not only supporting you, your team, but also, you know, they require coordination and, uh, it's a high, high degree of complexity. For someone like yourself who's had success as an athlete, you're having success now in the coaching and the high-performance world. I know it's your job, but it, what motivates you has to go way beyond that. And what are the factors that really motivate you to do what you're doing right now? You know, there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of things. I'm routinely uh, impressed at the passion that people put into this sport. You know, it starts with the athletes and watching the passion that goes into their pursuits is really, really inspiring. But then also looking at every facet of the sport, you can find people that have, you know, in some cases dedicated their whole lives to, to making the sport better in some way, shape or form. Being able to uh, participate in biathlon, as the IBU brands it, the biathlon family, um, is it's a real privilege to be a part of that. And and uh, I think anyone that's been to a World Cup, uh, you know, it's hard to define, but then when you go to a World Cup, it's like, oh, okay, I understand what's no, so great it. about this. Yeah. It was like me going to Antholz last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, Lowell, thanks for this. Uh, we're going to close it out with our on targets uh, section. And I was just curious, when you're on your own time back in Lake Placid in the summertime, what's the fun thing for you to do outdoors? You know, I think Lake Placid's such a great place to be outdoors in the summer. Uh, a lot of people probably think of it as a winter place, but it's it's equally uh, equally fun in the summer. So really anything, um, swimming at the lake with my kids, with my family, we grow a lot of things in our garden. Anything outdoors is good by me. What did you have a good crop of this summer? <laughs> we had some late season tomatoes that came through that were quite good in October, believe it or not. I'm thinking your growing season in Lake Placid is probably a little bit longer than it is out here in Utah. Yeah, I, I can't say I know too much about the Utah <laughs> growing season, but um, but yeah, we were we were fortunate this year and, and had a lot of good things growing. Cool. Favorite restaurant in Lake Placid? Ah, there's, there's a lot. Um, you know, I would have said liquids and solids, but they uh, recently recently closed down. So I would have to go with uh, maybe smoke signals. Great. I need to get back to Lake Placid. <laughs> yes. New places. Um, you've been coming out here enough. Do you have a favorite restaurant out here in Utah? The Midway Mercantile, which is just down the street from, uh, from our residence here in Zermatt, is a great place. We seem to end, end up there every year. Um, so I, I have to choose that one. Last thing. Toughest thing you've done athletically yourself in the last year? <laughs> 
<laughs> Unfortunately, it's not that impressive. Uh, you'll you'll have to ask our um, team general manager Federico Fontana if he's on another podcast what his most challenging uh, physical thing is because it's more impressive than mine. Mine would just be uh, getting out the door and finding the time to uh, get a run in here and there is really about all I can claim at this point. No marathons. No marathons. No big Still trail on the bucket runs? list. Sounds good. Lowell Bailey, thanks for joining us on Heartbeat. All the best this season. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. It's exciting to watch the evolution of U.S. biathlon over the past few years. Lowell's World Championship goal back in 2017 was one of the triggers, and today he's still contributing as High Performance Director. Watch for more Heartbeat episodes coming up soon. In the next episode, we'll probe into the full ban on fluorocarbons that goes into place this year from veteran head coach and ski technician, Fetty Fontana. And then we'll catch up with Olympian Maddie Fanoff, who is now making her pathway in the sport as a coach. Heartbeat is brought to you by U.S. Biathlon and its dedicated team of sponsors. A special thanks to Aaron's The King of Snow, Maloya outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. And a shout out to all of U.S. Biathlon sponsors, including Maloya, Aaron's, Paul Smith's College, Auto Aider, Lapua Ammunition, Rain, Pure Mountain Spring Water, and Polar Beverages. That's it for this episode of Heartbeat. If you can, give us a review or hit the favorite button so that you can stay up to date on the latest episodes as we continue to tell the story of the people behind Biathlon. I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. We'll see you again soon. Heartbeat.